Alright, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. If every heart is free and clear, it's not. You've got a word from the Lord. I'm giving you the floor. I'll sit down and you can preach. Matthew chapter 22. We spoke last week on leading in love and, and the leadership that comes with uh, with love and the love that comes with leadership and the authority therein. And God's been dealing with me uh, continually into this and the same thing in regards to uh, just love. And, and we realize that, that everything else will fail, but love will never fail. And, and when we talk about Christ's love, it is the, it is the one thing that can go the distance. And, and uh, I just, God's dealing with me tonight. And uh, let's dive into the verse first. And I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So. There's a couple things I want to di- dissect in Scripture tonight. So Matthew chapter 22, we know the verse is very clear. Starting at verse 36. It says, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, I want you to understand this. This is what he says, not my words. But it's Christ's words because we know the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all all your soul and all your mind. And he says, and the second is like unto it. So there's a high emphasis here on what he's about to speak. He says, the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he says, even more emphasis, he elevates it to not only to loving your neighbor, not only to loving God with all your heart, but then he says, in fact... On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All of it. Now there's a lot in that. And we're talking about pretty much the entire Old Testament summed up in two things. Because you can get wrapped up in the doctrine of it, wrapped up in the in the rituals and the laws, but Jesus says it's as simple as this. To love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and if you can handle those, which you say, well, that sounds a lot easier than all that. And once again, to do it correctly uh, is all the power in the world. But to do it incorrectly, once again, you fall so short of everything. So uh, what God wants me to dissect tonight, number one, is to understand first, who is our neighbor? Because that's what he says, right? We're, we're called to love our neighbor. So who is our neighbor? And I, and I asked God that. I said, uh, who is our neighbor? So turn with me to Luke chapter 10. The very question is asked of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. So start at the 25th verse. Luke 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, saying, Thou shalt love the God, thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? He says that to him. To justify himself. Now, once again, let me just understand this. That when you're going to ask Jesus the question, you better be ready for an answer. And you can do it all day long and justify those that you're reaching out to and those that you're loving and those that you're not loving. But the reality is what Jesus was asked is, who is my neighbor? And this is what he says. He says, uh, 
A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Already the circumstance seems not ideal. Not ideal. Uh, we, we're going to talk tonight about investment in people and investment in ourselves. And right away, if this is my neighbor, i, I got to be honest, in the flesh, I want to say that's too much for me to handle. That's, I'd rather someone who's got it all together. I, those are easy to love. So anyways, it says that uh, he was wounded and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We know the story. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, that'll preach, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that shewed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do thou likewise. It's as simple as this. If there is someone who needs mercy, if there is someone who needs compassion, if there is someone that needs the love of Christ, that is your neighbor. Amen. That is your neighbor. That was the response that Jesus said. Which one? What you know? Which one was the neighbor? He said, "Well, it's the one that showed him mercy." Yeah, go and do likewise. Now, turn with me to John chapter four. I'm going to I'm going to be bouncing around a lot tonight. I mentioned this before a, a few times in my preaching. And I've learned it in my psychology classes, but it'll preach because you see it in John chapter 4 here. There's a, a psychological phenomenon called the Benjamin Franklin effect. And I think I've mentioned this to you before. The Benjamin Franklin effects to say, if you're going to uh, have a strong relationship with someone, it's not in fact what I can do for you. So if I'm going to try to be the best relationship that I can have with Delbert, I would think the best way would be to do something for Delbert. But in fact, the phenomenon is that the Benjamin Franklin effect says, actually, if I would ask Delbert to do something for me, that most likely studies have proven that he would repay it over and over again. So think of this for a second. It's not just what Christ did for us, but it's what Christ asked of us. Once again, that is what the church is. God didn't just come and do it all for us, but he says, now I'm asking something from you. To be my hands and feet, to love like I love, and, and to, 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 to radically change the world through love. And I believe it can happen. So we see in John chapter 4, this very phenomenon working it out. So, uh, verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, I will give you something to drink. Is that what he says? What's the verse say? Ah, he knows that if this relationship is going to be strong, it's not me giving her something to drink. That'll take place. But in fact, involving her in her to give me something. That's what he says. Give me to drink for his disciples were gone away in the city to buy meat. And look what she says. Then saith the woman of Samaria, of Samaria unto him, how is it thou? And it's such a shame, but the same thing's happening today with churches across America. 
that we are not reaching out to the ones that, that need mercy, that need compassion, that need to know the love of Christ. The first thing when he says, give me a drink, I want to have a relationship, I want to have a conversation. And the first thing she says is, you shouldn't even be talking to me. And that's religion. You shouldn't even be talking to me. He says, how is it that I'm being a Jew? Ask you to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But we know that obviously, he says in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God. Once again, it's the love of God. And who it is that saith unto thee, give me a drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. He said, it's going to be this relationship that I'm going to ask of you. And if you really know who I am, you're going to ask of me. And, I, and, I, and listen, that is the beautiful thing about Christ. He wants a strong relationship with us. All right. So Matthew chapter four. Who is our neighbor? So we see in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's anybody that needs mercy. When everyone walked on the other side, <laughs> that you go to them, that you love them, and that you, that you bind up their wounds. And we see in John chapter 4, it's not the likely ones. In fact, it's, you know, we see in the Beatitudes to pray for your enemy and bless those that persecute you. It's the opposite of what we want to do, but this is who our neighbor is. So Matthew 4 lately has, and I want to preach on it, but it's been absolutely shattering me because it's really just hitting me at the core of what Christianity really is. So look at verse 23 and 24. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, not 95%, not 50, all manner, it didn't matter what they had. He, he, he came throughout and healed uh, all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him. So this is the church's core, to bring people to Jesus Christ. Because he is our source of healing, he is our source of, of reconciliation, he is our source of redemption and forgiveness and grace. He's all. But listen, they brought unto him, and look at these people. I've got to be honest, in my flesh, could I love these people? Could I pick up these people? Could I bring these people into church? Could I, could I do the ministry that he's called me to do to love thy neighbor? So it says right here, all manner, all, all, unto all, him, all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. This is who the neighbors are. If there is a need, they're your neighbor. They're your neighbor. Which leads me to this point. And let me say this. If you take nothing away from tonight, I want you to remember one thing. If you take nothing else from tonight, I want you to say this. Because I have to ask this question before. Listen. If you're diseased and tormented and possessed and with palsy, wouldn't you want someone to help you? If you were in that situation... Wouldn't you want someone to help you? And let me just say this. And this is what I want you to take away. If you take nothing else. If you're taking notes, write this down. But I want you to see the worst parts of you. I'm talking about the worst, the ugliest, the dirtiest, the most sinful. The worst parts of you deserve love. Understand what I'm saying there. The worst parts of yourself deserve love. The parts that you don't like sharing, the parts that you don't want anyone to know, those deepest, darkest, ugliest parts, they deserve love. And this is why 
I believe we are failing as a church, as failing as Christians, because the commandment in Matthew chapter 22 is to love your neighbor. You love thy neighbor. But then it goes on, as yourself. And the problem is, we cannot adequately love our neighbor because we cannot adequately love ourselves. We've heard it forever. I've heard it for years. Joy. Jesus, others, and you. That's what they always say. That's what real joy is. It's Jesus and others and you. Because I understand the principle, because you don't want to be self-centered. And pride has no place. But the reality is there's a difference between pride, because pride says to... I say what I am, but worth is what Jesus says about me. And there's something drastically different. And what has happened is we've watered down and we've now taken pride and put it in in the category of worth and we've stopped loving ourselves. And I'm telling you, if you were a drowning man, could you save another drowning man? No. And if you were jumping out of a plane and had no parachute... Would it be a good good idea to grab another man without a parachute? No. Right. I think about marriages. If your marriage is in shambles, it's probably not a good idea to try to help another marriage until you can fix it out yourself. And and we talk about addiction. I've had friends in addiction. If they have a sponsor, it's good that their sponsor's clean and it's love themselves and work their way through it because no point in having a sponsor that's still struggling. This is the thing. We have to first take care of ourselves. We have to first love ourselves to truly be able to love our neighbor. We have to be able to. And a person that cannot love their neighbor if they cannot love themselves. Galatians chapter 6. Turn there real quick. Oh, no, you don't have to turn there, actually. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. But I'm going to read Galatians chapter 6. This is what Paul says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, that's a neighbor. That's someone who has a need. If you know someone that's been overtaken in a fault, they're, they're out of the way of the Lord, you know it, uh, they're just struggling, they're really in a place. This is what he says. It doesn't just say, send anyone to them. It says, ye who are spiritual, ye who are spiritual, go after them. I'll read it right here. Brethren, if, any man, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Yeah. That's the thing. Drowning man can't save a drowning man. But if you if you love yourself and if you've been loved by Christ and you know what worth. And, you, and, and I'm not saying we've got to be perfect, but we've got to learn to love ourselves. Amen. And I'm telling you. Me and Megan, it's later in my notes, but uh, we love hard, we do. And, and many of you guys that are in ministry, you love hard. And there will come a time when you will devote so much time to other people. You will hit a wall. Because you have focused on so many other people. And they say nurses are the worst when it comes to getting sick because they, 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 they worry about everyone else all the time. You know, there was a study recently. They, they, uh, they addressed nationwide study. It said 80% of people never miss... A, a daily medicine that they have to give to their pet. 80% never miss a day. If it's their pet, if it's their dog, heartworm, whatever, they give it to the dog. 80% said we never miss a day. 30% of people said they never miss a day when it comes to medication for themselves. Mm-hmm. Think of that. Wow. A dog, I don't go wrong, I love my dogs. But if I can't love myself as much as I love my dog, then surely I can't love my neighbor. You know? Good word. Ephesians chapter 5, look what it says here. We, we talk in the context of, of marriage, but it goes deeper in the, in the latter passages. 
Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it uh, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Blemish. So ought men to also love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And look what it says in verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. It's counterproductive. <laughs> for me to hurt my wife is to hurt myself. And the same goes for me to love myself. I can thus better love my neighbor. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause um, shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and, and the church. And I'll say it is a huge fundamental error between Christians today and why we can't properly love others because we don't know how to properly love ourselves. Seriously, I, I, I'm just saying, you might be here tonight and it's okay, it's okay, we got to get through this, but you might be here tonight and you have not learned to love yourselves and as the meme says, and it shows, and it shows, you are worth it, listen, he didn't die for your neighbor and not die for you. You are just as worth it as your neighbor. Because to them, you are their neighbor. And I'm telling you, we have to understand our worth. I mean, because here's the reality. Uh, the first greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart. We know that. But you cannot love God until you have been loved by God. That's what it says in 1 John 4, 19. It says we love Him because what? Because He first loved us. You cannot properly love God until He first loves you. I'm telling you, I thought I loved God until I, until I realized how much He loved me. He is, he is absolutely, radically in love with you. He is. He is absolutely in love with you. And you need to realize that. Because I'm telling you, how is it that we're going to be able to preach worth and abundance and joy and faith to others when we don't buy it ourselves? You know? We focus so much to love others and we can't love ourselves. So a few things God's given me tonight. To how to love our neighbors. But in reflection, the first thing we need to do is love ourselves with these very th same things. Number one, to love my neighbor. We see it in the Good Samaritan. He went to him. He was invested in him. He took time for his neighbor. I'm telling you guys, I don't care if it's a half an hour a day. And it's biblical and I'm going to show you in a minute because Jesus did it. You have to take time for yourself. And I know you say, well, I don't have enough time. I've got kids. I've got family. I've got a job. I've got a ministry. I'm telling you, you will self-destruct. You will. You have to take a little bit of time. So we see in Luke chapter 15, Jesus, in verse 15, and But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. That's verse 15. You know what verse 16 says? And he withdrew. <laughs> and he withdrew. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Listen, you can pray all day with someone else. But if you're not taking time alone with God yourself, it's, it's not going to work. If you can, you can, I can preach all day long to you. But 
But if I'm not spending alone time in God's Word, what good is it? What good is it? That's why we have to take time. And I'm not saying, once again, you're twisting our flesh and the devil wants to twist that to say, oh, it's, it's all about you, Brad. It's all about, no, it's all about loving others. But to love others, you have to love yourself. You have to make sure you're healthy yourself. It's, it's biblical to, to pray for yourself, to read by yourself, even to love on yourself, to do that. To adequately do it to our neighbor. That's what we want to do. I'm telling you, you cannot love your neighbor if you're not going to invest time into them. The Good Samaritan proved that. I mean, he did it all. <laughs> Bound up his wounds, put him on his own donkey, took him to the, to the end. Paid for his night and said, if he spends anything else, I'll come back and pay the rest. Put it on my tab. I mean, that's investment. And that is a, a drastic problem for the church because we do not want to invest in other people. Because why? We don't even have time to invest in ourselves. We can't even love ourselves. How are we going to love others? And I'm telling you, if we get to a healthy place, we can put our parachute on and we can save that guy that's without a parachute. And we can learn to swim and we can save that drowning man. But to take time for our neighbors means to take time for ourselves. Number two, man, this this poo. Right. To love our neighbors is to forgive our neighbors, right? I mean, Christ is the essence of grace and forgiveness. I'm telling you, grace is always greater. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Uh, it does not matter. He is willing. He is faithful and just to forgive. And here's the shame about it all. We are so easy to look at someone else and say, I forgive you. And yet there are people here tonight that have not forgiven right. themselves. Mm. God's already, if you've repented of it, if you've got it under the blood, if, I'm telling you, His word says He is faithful just to cleanse and forgive. It's over. But yet so many are still hanging on to it. we got to be able to forgive ourselves. How can we tell to our neighbor? God's going to forgive you of that. If you give it to Him, if you let Him have a hold of it, I'm telling you, man, He's going to forgive you. Seven times seventy! Yeah. And yet we sit here and Deep down, we may not talk about it. We're still hanging on that shame and that guilt. we got to let it go. And we'll tell our neighbors that. We'll tell our friends, man, you got to let this go. And then when it's us, we say, I can't let it go. I'm hanging on to it. To adequately love our neighbor, to truly love someone, we got to be willing to forgive. But we got to be willing to forgive ourselves. God has, and, and we should too. Next. When we talk about loving our neighbor uh, and being invested in them, you know, we are good at that. I'll be honest. I love that about the church. And when things do good, we we, we rejoice with them. If you got a job, we're going to rejoice with you. If you had a child, we're going to rejoice with you. If you're, you know, if you're starting getting planted in the church at Seven Up Faith, we want to rejoice with you. But and, and, but oftentimes, you know, we don't ever say, "Hey, I'm proud of myself. Look what God's done in my life." You know? And, and once again, that's not pride. That's not pride because I know if anything good in my life, it's simply because He did it. But I, you know, sometimes we gotta rejoice. We're gonna rejoice with our neighbor what God did. But sometimes we gotta step back and say, God, I'm thankful for what you did for me today. Yeah, and not just to rejoice with our neighbor and to rejoice with ourselves, but I'm telling you, we mourn with our neighbors. We say, hey man, listen, if you need a shoulder to cry on, you need an ear to listen, I'm telling you, I'm right here. If you, I know you're going through the battle, I know you're going through the storm, you call me any hour, I'm going to be there for you. And yet there are Christians today, maybe even here tonight, where you've not properly mourned. Not properly grieved. Because you've been trying to hold it together for everyone else. Mm. Everyone else has got problems. I can't properly grieve. I can't properly... I'm telling you, you will hit a wall. Yeah. 
you will self-destruct. You see it in your neighbor. You say, hey, listen, you've got to work through this. We need to work through this. You can't live like this anymore. And yet, how many of ourselves are living that way as well? Let it out. It's fine, that's what we say. But when it comes to ourselves, we can't do it. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Here's another one. An article was posted recently, we won't go into details, but about a prominent apologist that recently passed away and after he died, uh, many things came to the surface about his a life that I guess he was leading in secret. Sad, tragic actually. But the article was a, a guy I followed by the name of Dr. Michael Brown out of Charlotte. Wonderful man of God. Really tremendously helped my faith over the years. But he brings to light in the uh, in the article, how hard it is. I mean, it's hard for anyone to address issues. But for Christians, <laughs> man, it, it's such a shame. Is it that new Matthew West song? What does it say? There's a new Matthew West song, and it says, I think in the second verse, it says, if church really was true, then the pews would be filled. If we could really be honest about ourselves, then every pew would be full. But And Paul Washer said, you guys are worried about wearing masks at church, but the reality is you've been wearing them for years. Yeah. <laughs> And it, you know, so here's what Dr. Michael Brown said. He said, for Christians and even people in leadership and in ministry, it is almost impossible for them to be honest about sin. Because, you know, like Megan says, if I come to the altar, I think they're going to think, here's the pastor's wife. How come she's coming to the altar? What's going on? You know, and you might even feel that way. You've been a Christian for years. You seem like on the outside you've got it all together. But maybe there's something deep inside you've been struggling with. You've been really afraid to let it out. And then the problem is you say, but we're in church, man. And we're just to have it all together. And if they, if I come to the altar, lay it down. Or if, I, or if I'm, because it's not just about laying it down. But I think it's important that as James says, that listen, well, to fulfill the law of Christ is to bear one another's burdens. To really get someone that you can trust and say, I'm just going to be honest with you. Because that is what a neighbor is, right? Someone who needs mercy. Someone who needs compassion. Someone who needs love. Someone that's not going to be judgmental to say, listen, I love you so much that you can be honest with me. But the shame about religion and church is that we don't feel comfortable because if they know what really is going on inside, or if they really know what's going on behind closed doors, and what will they think of me? Yes, they say they'll forgive, but it's in the back of their mind. And I teach a Sunday school class, or I'm a preacher, or, or you know, I've been a Christian for years. And what would my parents think if it came out? What would my wife think if it came out? What would my husband? You know, so we get all that. So, but I say all that to say, if we're truly going to love our neighbor, we're going to keep them accountable. We talked about leadership and love, and. And to really lead by love is to keep... Accountability is such an important thing when it comes to discipleship. It's such a shame we don't do it enough. We emphasize on salvation. We lack drastically on discipleship. But discipleship is an investment to say, I'm going to love you through no matter what. And if you're, once again, we said in Galatians chapter 1, it says, or 6 and 1, it says, if you're overtaken in a fault, you're spiritual, go and get them back. To keep them accountable. If you're my neighbor, Ryan, or if, I, if you're not my neighbor, Charlie, if you're my neighbor, Dawson, and I see you living out of what I believe God wants for your life, it is my job for, for, as a neighbor for you to address you with it. In love. 
one-on-one and in fact scriptural says to, to bring two or three witnesses after the fact and after that bring the elders of the church and then you address it as it goes on but ultimately the, the intent is to come and to keep you accountable to say listen God, God's got more for you than this we're not judging you we're not condemning you but we're just saying we, we, we're just concerned we see the signs the, the reality is not living what we believe uh, God wants for your life and we still love you if we didn't love you we'd let you go out and just run out there and you know, do 150 till you run into a wall spiritually. But the fact is, we love you enough to keep you accountable. Here's the problem. We don't keep ourselves accountable. We are so focused on other people's sins, and yet we don't address our own. You know? I can, and Paul says it, we, uh, we won't get into that there, but he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 27, he says, and after I preach myself to others, I myself be cast away. He said, what's the point if, if I... If, if I'm going to preach it, if I'm not going to live it. So Matthew chapter 7, look at verses 3 through 5. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? Once again, concerned. To pull out that mote, that splinter, that smallest little thing. So concerned to say, listen... I'll pull it out for you. But yet Jesus says, let me pull up the moat of the night, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite. Ah. Last thing I'm telling you, you can call me, you can, you can cuss me, <laughs> you can cuss me, I mean, you can call me every name in the book. The one thing I don't want you to call me is a hypocrite. Is to do something in public and look something completely different. And that's the thing. We love our neighbors. We say, we're going to hold you accountable. We're going to make sure you're living up to God's standard. But we can't even do it for ourselves. We can't even address the very things we're struggling with. Why? Well, we're trying to make sure. i got, I got to make sure everyone else is. No, we got to address ourselves first. And that's what Jesus says. How are you going to worry about the speck, the, the moat in your brother's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam. Not after. That's what we say. Well, I'll get to my own problems when I get to my own problems. I'm going to help everyone else. I'm going to love my neighbor. No. Somebody says, first, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly. See clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart. And with all thy strength, I mean soul, and with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Before we can reach a community with the love of Christ, before we can really, before we can really reach out and say, I'm gonna, I know the experience of what God looks like, loving unconditionally. And to go out there in the highways and byways to say, listen, everyone's, everyone's, it's, it's accessible to everyone. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. The love of God can bridge the distance. And yet we can't even let God love ourselves. We can't even love ourselves. We gotta get back to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let me ask that question. How are you loving yourself? It is a reflection of how you'll love your neighbor. Do you love yourself? Do you think you're worthy of mercy? Do you think you're worthy of God's plan in your life? You say, I don't. 
If you say I don't, that's fine. Be honest about it. But I'm telling you, you are. You are absolutely worth it. Thank you, Lord. You are worth it. You are precious. And you will go out to your neighbors and tell them that very thing. And come home and look at the mirror and see something despicable. See something completely not worth it. Just, I mean, to be honest about ourselves. And everything I can see from Luke chapter 10 in the, in the Good Samaritan, I mean, down and out. John 4, literally an enemy of the Jews. And, if, and then also we see in Matthew chapter 4 that literally those that were sick with divers diseases and torments and possessed with devils and those that were lunatic and those that had palsy and all of them, and all of them were worthy of love. All of them. I'm telling you. Before we can love our neighbor, we have to love ourselves. That's right. I'm going to ask, I just feel led. Rob, will you come up? Becky, would you mind coming up one more time? I think you felt it just as much as I did. <laughs> I just feel led to get a song. Listen, you're worth it. Yeah. And I want to pray with you tonight. We want to pray with you tonight. If every definition of love is broken... So many people say, you have, no, you have no idea. All my life, I've never been loved correctly. How can I love myself? I've grown up with a distorted image of love. Everything that I've had has been broken and shattered around me. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ can break generational barriers of what it means to be loved. I mean, he can love you the way that you are meant to be loved. And for you to love others, you have to love yourself. And for you to love yourself, you have to understand how much God loves you. That's it. To love God with all your heart first means you have to be loved by Him. Let Him be the definition of what true love looks like. Let Him redefine what love looks like. I'm just, I feel like let's get a song. Listen, if you want to come pray, I think we need to get better, folks. Let's be honest. This is fertile ground. It should be at least. If you need to work things out, we want to work it out with you. We want to invest in you. We want to love on you like Christ. That is our job. To love on you. But you have to be willing to love yourself. And to think that you're worth being loved. Because I'm telling you, in God's eyes, you are absolutely beautiful. Absolutely precious. Priceless. You say, well, how do you know? Calvary. That's how I know. <laughs> the best of the best of the best that heaven had to offer. And he did it for you. He did it for you. Go ahead. Amen. 75. Amen.